Today's scripture comes from Acts 20, 17 to 38. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. You may be seated. As we get seated, let me pray for us. Loving God, would you be with us? Open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word and help us to see you more clearly. And would you be with the children downstairs and the, and the, and the volunteers and the teachers who are, who are ministering to them? Would, they, would you open, also open their eyes to see wondrous things in your word? Ioana, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm one of the team here. And I want to add my welcome to Kendra's welcome. It is so good to see each of you here this morning, back from some vacations and visiting us and returning to us. And it's so good to see each of you. Well, this summer, my family and I didn't go away. We had family come to visit us, flying in from different parts of the world. And if I'm being honest... The goodbyes were more difficult than I expected. You, know, you, you load the luggage into the car, you drive them to the airport, you reach there, you find a lot, you take the luggage out, you find a trolley, you put the luggage on the trolley, and then there's nothing else to do but to say goodbye. And it was, 
And it was difficult. And goodbyes are, are so revealing in that way, aren't they? The, the difficulty with which you have to say goodbye reveals how much you value that person or perhaps don't value that person. And not just that, the things that you choose to say goodbye reveal what you value or don't value. And that's what's happening in our passage today. Paul is saying goodbye to a group of people they had come to see as family. He had loved, he had lived and served with the church community in a place called Ephesus every day for, for, for several years. And now it was time for him to say goodbye. And it was difficult, made even more difficult by the fact that they all knew he would never see them again. Look at verse 37. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. See, Paul's goodbye speech is something we must pay attention to as we wrap up our series on living by faith. It's, it's the only speech recorded for us in the Bible that Paul gives to Christians. Every other speech we have are to non-Christians, like the one that Daniel preached on last week. And as Paul says goodbye to a group of friends that have become like family to him, he reveals to us what he values. He reveals to us much in his life of faith what we can learn for ourselves in our life of faith. And so we have three takeaways we're going to be looking at. The goal of living by faith, the message of the gospel, and the promises of the gospel. The goal, the message, and the promises. So let's get into it, starting with the goal of living by faith. Look at verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I love how he opens his goodbye speech. You yourselves know. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day. The question we, we, we ask ourselves is why would Paul start his speech that way? Why would he ask them to take a magnifying glass to look back at how he lived? He had lived and worked with them every day for several years, and if you've had anyone stay with you, or if you've any, ever stayed with anyone else every day for several years, you would know you can't hide who you are. They see you at your best and your worst and all your embarrassing quirks. Maybe Paul was a picky eater. Maybe he had interesting bowel movement. Maybe there were moments where they got on each other's nerves or argued with each other. There were probably moments after which Paul had to apologize to others and there were probably times after which others had to apologize to Paul. There were good times and bad times and why would Paul ask them to look back on all of that? See, the point here is this. Paul's confidence lay not in his life, but in the power of the gospel working in his life. Do you see the difference? Paul's goal was not that they focus on him, but that they focus on the gospel at work in his life to save and transform even someone like him. Look at verses 22 to 24. 
But he says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We see here, don't we? Paul had but one goal in life, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, to finish the course and ministry he had received from God. And it can be so clarifying that way, to reduce your entire life down to a single goal. And once you understand Paul's goal, all his life decisions that seem like bad life decisions suddenly seem to make sense. This was why he, he left his, his family in Ephesus, community that had become like family, even though he clearly loved them and they clearly loved him, even though they all knew that he would never see them again. It was why he would go on to Jerusalem despite not knowing what would happen to him there except that imprisonment and afflictions and suffering waited for him there. It was why he had no problem people taking a magnifying glass to the best and worst moments in his life. You see, when your heart has been transformed by the gospel, you would want nothing more than to live out and testify the gospel of grace in your life. What happens to your life doesn't matter. What people think of you doesn't matter. You see, as we talk about living by faith, we see how central the gospel is to all of that, don't we? In fact, the gospel is what sets the Christian faith apart from all other faiths. In Vancouver, everyone can talk about faith and spirituality. And so we must be clear, what is it that sets apart Christian faith and Christian spirituality from all other faith and all other spirituality? And the answer is this, it's the gospel. Paul's speech shows us not just that the gospel is of vital importance, he also reminds us that the gospel, of what the gospel is, it's a message. And that's our second point for this morning, the message of the gospel. You see, there's a popular saying that goes around in some Christian circles that goes something like this, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And this, this saying is so popular because it strikes a chord with the experience so many of us have had. Experiences of either being turned away from Jesus or turned towards Jesus because of the conduct of those who would call themselves Christians. There's something really attractive about saying, just let your life do the talking, but that's not exactly how we are supposed to live. You see, the Bible is clear, we need to do both. We need to both live out the gospel and we need to use words to proclaim the gospel. In fact, when we talk about living out the gospel, the foundation of the Christian life is that it's a response to the gospel. It's a response to a gospel message that needs to be proclaimed with words. We see it in verse 20. When Paul says, how I did not shrink back, shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. A few verses on, we see it again in verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. 
Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We, we see it repeated over and over again. The words declare, teach, testify, proclaim. These, are, these talk about communication, pro proclamation using words. So what is the gospel message? We will spend the rest of our lives learning it more and more and digging into it deeper and deeper. But one pastor summarized it this way, which, is, which I think is really helpful. The message of the gospel is that we are more sinful than we ever imagined, but more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You see, the Christian life is the life of response to that message, of living out that message. You see, when our eyes are open to see the depths of our sin, when our eyes are open to see the lengths that Jesus went to rescue us from our sin, we won't want nothing more than to do whatever we can to live out that gospel. Such is the importance of the gospel that Paul frames his entire life and ministry as living out and proclaiming the gospel message. Look at verse 20 again. He talks about how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Teaching in private and public and testifying both to Jews and Greeks, meaning that the gospel message is relevant everywhere and to everyone. For those of us who have been Christian for a while, it's tempting to think that the gospel is how we become Christian and then we need everything else. That's not it. The, the gospel message is how we become Christians and is the only way that we grow as Christians. No matter how long we've been Christians, don't let us fall into the trap of thinking the gospel is no longer relevant. For those of us here who are still figuring out what Christianity is, let me encourage you to start by asking, what is the gospel and what does it have to do with my life? For those of us who consider ourselves Christians, this passage calls us to ask ourselves, how does the gospel fit into our life? This week, I'd encourage you to, to think through it this way. When was the last time you thought about the gospel? How did the gospel impact your life yesterday? How, how does the gospel impact your plans for tomorrow? You see, in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes in, in chapter 15, he writes this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, we are saved the moment we believe in the gospel, and we spend the rest of our lives living out our salvation. And we live out our salvation by, Paul says, holding fast to the gospel message. Because it's the gospel message that saves us and transforms us to become, more, to become more like Christ by His Spirit. We need to see it. The gospel is central to God's plans for the world. In fact, the gospel is God's plan for the world, which is why the devil is constantly trying to get us to forget it and to twist it. And it's why Paul spends so much time in his speech charging the elders to protect the gospel. Look at verse 28. 
Paul charges the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish each, every one, with tears. And even as you read this speech that was made 2,000 years ago, we realize Paul's warning is so relevant to us today, isn't it? Paul, Paul warns that fierce wolves will arise, that there will be people who claim to be Christians, but speak twisted things, teaching things that are not true in order to draw people away from the church. We see here, don't we, how relevant it is for us today. What Paul says here is a much-needed corrective against claims that there is no such thing as objective truth. See, for there to be false teaching, there must be true teaching. There is a true gospel and there is a false gospel. There is teaching that is true and there is teaching that is not true. False teaching, twisted teaching, they're designed just to draw people away from the church. Now, we need to, be, we need to learn when we disagree to disagree with grace and with love. And often we're not very good at doing that. But we must not be afraid to disagree Paul puts it so well in verse 20 when he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. He says it, he says it again in verse 27, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You see, Christ City, don't shrink back. As we prepare to re-enter the rhythms of work and school and family and friends, don't shrink back. Don't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Don't shrink back from guarding ourselves and other sheep when fierce wolves come. In fact, don't be afraid of calling fierce wolves fierce wolves. Don't shrink back and st or from standing firm when false teachers come up to draw people away from the church. Now, the gospel can be twisted in so many ways, but Paul highlights a key aspect of the gospel that is so easily twisted by us today. Look at verse 21. He talks about testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses a word here that we so often try to downplay, the word repentance. See, we are... We are more sinful than we ever imagined, but more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The key to being loved and accepted by Jesus is to put our faith in Jesus. That's what Paul says, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, taking up our sacrifice for our sins on our behalf and living with Jesus as Lord over our lives. That's what repentance is. Repentance means changing the direction of our lives so that we live with God as Lord over every part of our lives. Repentance comes hand in hand with faith. We see that in what Paul is writing, don't we? Repentance toward God and our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible promises that repentance is right. 
and repentance is worth it. But I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't also tell you that the Bible warns us that repentance is painful. Repentance is often, often means sacrifice, which is painful and oftentimes costly as we, as we turn away from our old life to live our new life in Christ. And we also need to be here about what repentance looks like. Repentance doesn't mean we will never sin. But it does mean that over time, by God's grace, as the gospel works in our hearts, by God's Spirit, we will grow to turn away from sin. In fact, believe it or not, we will grow to slowly hate sin. As we, as we grow to seek God as our Lord over every part of our life. Now, I'm going to say this again because it's really important that we're clear on this. It is faith alone that saves us. We can't do anything to earn our salvation, but true faith will always come hand in hand with repentance. The thing is, sometimes, without even realizing it, we end up twisting the gospel message by downplaying repentance. When I look back on my own life, when I think about how I've shared the gospel with others, I think about how in my desire for them to say yes to Jesus, I, I, I sort of downplay the cost or perhaps the need for repentance. You see, it's so tempting, isn't it, to try to overlook serious sin in the lives of loved ones. Perhaps even trying to help them rationalize it away about, rationalize away maybe that, so that we make it out that perhaps it's not sin in the first place. Because we are worried that if we talk about sin, they're going to leave the church. On, on the other hand, sometimes we twist the gospel message by going to the other extreme, about talking only about sin, only about repentance. And that's not right either. See, the point is this, our gospel must explain how faith and repentance come hand in hand in God's gospel of grace. God, in His grace, meets us where we are. You see, when we, when we think about, when Paul talks, asks the, the Ephesian elders to look back on his life, as we read about it in the book of Acts, we're supposed to have read through everything else that Acts tells us about Paul. And we would know that Paul hated Christians so much that when he became a Christian, people didn't believe it. We would know that Paul in his ministry argued with his co-worker so much so that they split up and went to do their own thing. We need to make sure that when we talk about sin and repentance, we are not calling people to be who they are not. But we want to remind people that God meets them where, where they are and that God's gospel has the power to save. See, the thing is, when I look back, I realize I talk too little about sin and I talk too much about sin because I don't fully believe in God's power to save. I end up thinking that it's on me to package the gospel in such a way that people believe, rather than being on God to get to save people and to transform them. Paul puts it so well in verse 32 when he writes, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
Christ City, do we believe in the power of the gospel? Do we believe in the power of the gospel to build us up and give us divine inheritance? When we look back on our lives and we look forward in our plans, are we relying on the power of the gospel or on our own power? You see, Paul's entire life was about testifying to the transformative power of the gospel to everyone who lived and worked with him. And that's the life of faith God calls us to live today. As we seek to live by faith, we need to ask ourselves the verse 24 question, where, where Paul says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. How do we account the value of our lives? What is the goal of our lives? Our passage challenges us to, like Paul, make it our life's single goal to proclaim the gospel and live it out in our lives. But we must be clear, this doesn't mean that we are to be people with no sense of self-worth. That's not what's happening here. This doesn't mean that we are to have no value for human life. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The gospel calls us to see the riches of the inheritance we have in Christ an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The gospel calls us to see how precious we are in God's eyes, that He would send His Son to die for us so that we can have that inheritance. You see, when Paul says he doesn't account his life of any value, it's not because his life, his life is of no value. No, it's a comparison. Paul accounts his life of no value in comparison to the value of the gospel, in comparison to the value of finishing his course and ministry of testifying to the gospel of grace, Christ city. What course has God set for you? What is the ministry that God has given you? As you think about returning to the rhythms of work and school and family and friends and community in the fall, how does your plan fit into the course God has set for you? How does it fit into the ministry God has given you? This passage challenges us. It challenges us to respond to the gospel of grace by proclaiming and living out the gospel and asking God to help us to finish the course and ministry that He has given us. It challenges us to live in such a way that we can say to all those who have lived and served with us, you yourselves know how I have lived. Which brings us to our third point, and I want to get really practical here, the promises of the gospel. See, when we talk about living by faith, living as a Christian can feel quite tiring, can't it? It can feel sometimes overwhelming when we think of all the things we need to be and the things we should do and the things we should learn and the things we should know. This year, I know, has been really intense for us. Okay, let me, let me say that again. I know COVID has been really intense for us and then we've made a transition out of COVID and then we had a short summer and now we're back into it in the fall and there are a number of us who are entering the fall who I know are tired, exhausted, overwhelmed and, and probably on the verge of burning out. I know also that there are a number of us who are currently feeling fine, but come November, perhaps October, 
perhaps end of September, we too will be exhausted, overwhelmed, and probably on the verge of burning out. For all of us who are prone to relying on our own strength and our own power, would we take on God's promise of His power? God's promise of power and transformation that comes with His Spirit that is freely given to all. That's what Jesus promised in Acts 1 verse 8. As Jesus was leaving the earth, He promised, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The rest of the book of Acts, including our passage, unpacks Jesus' promise as we see God's Spirit working through and perhaps in spite of His imperfect people to proclaim and live out His gospel. And, And this same Holy Spirit is still at work in and through us today. And as we seek to live by faith, let's learn to depend more and more on God's Spirit to empower us. Let's learn to trust God more and more to provide for our every need. And as we do that, would we also take hold of God's promise of love and acceptance that is ours in Christ Jesus? You see, when we think about our value or the value of our lives, Know this, our value lies not in how others think of us. In fact, it doesn't even lie of how we think of ourselves. It lies in Christ's finished work on the cross. And His finished work on the cross reminds us that God is not finished with us just yet. And so, as we live, instead of trying to constantly put up a front and hide our sin and our struggles, the gospel frees us. It frees us to say to others, you yourselves know how imperfect I am and you yourselves know how Christ has been working in me. By God's grace, we can learn to be open with others about both our best moments and our worst moments because we are confident in God's power to save and transform even people like us, even in our worst moments. Because God's Spirit is at work in our best moments, in our worst moments, and even this very moment. God's Spirit is at work to make us more like Jesus, assuring us that we are not who we once were, giving us confidence of where we are going when we leave this world, and giving us confidence of who we will be when we finally leave this world. We will be perfect. Perfectly looking like Jesus as we see Him face to face. Do you see how missional this is? Do you see what it can do to our city if we are open to saying, you yourselves know how we have lived in our best moments and in our worst moments? You see, when we live for ourselves, when we put up a front and hide our sin and our struggles, others look at us and will say, that could never be me. But when we live for the gospel, when we show how the gospel is working in us in our best moments and our worst moments, others can look at our lives and say, hey, that could be me. John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, put it so well when he wrote this about the Christian life. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am 
what I am. As we live by faith, would, would the gospel be central? Would we make it our single goal to proclaim and live out the gospel for all to see its power to save even people like us? So that when it's our turn to say goodbye, we could say like Paul, I did not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of my God who saved me. Let's stand as we respond to God's word.